Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Side, a podcast about black science fiction, fantasy, and staying on the same page in this wonderful, pleasurable, stupefied by you. Name that movie. Can't even do a beautiful mind. Relationship. I'm one of your co-hosts, Amber Wallen. And I'm Ben. Welcome to episode 23 of the Sci-Fi Side. Today we have read a life-changing book. I'm not even being dramatic. I am dramatic, but this is for real. A life-changing book called The Dark Fantastic, written by Ebony Elizabeth Thomas. Before we get into the book, Ben has to make a public apology to me about last week's episode because I think I was right about Captain Marvel, even though you dragged me. Captain Marvel is both a DC and Marvel character, so I was wrong. I apologize. Oh, say it one more time. I was wrong. Mm, one more time. Three words that will save your marriage. I was wrong. We love to see it. All right. Well, anyway, we are going to get into this new book, The Dark Fantastic, which really focuses on something called the imagination gap, which I was not aware of before I read this book. Ben, can you sort of unpack what the imagination gap is? Yeah, it's basically an experience where children of color, specifically black children, can't imagine themselves out of any other role besides being like a slave or mm-hmm. living in 1915's, you know, Jim Crow era. And this sort of has some serious consequences when kids can't imagine themselves as flying on fire-breathing dragons and, you know, flying through spaceships. And there's some unintended consequences. So it sort of deals with that. I had to, you know, a book is good when you find yourself like picking it up and then putting it down because you're just so sad because you're like, wow, she just read my whole freaking life. Like this explains so much why I avoided science fiction for so long. The other reasons I wanted to read this book was that the cover is just so beautiful. It's one of the most beautiful covers that we have. We have kept all our covers really, really neat and organized. But a few days ago, Amber... I picked up our book, The Dark Fantastic, hardcover. It has this little girl with this futuristic um, Agbada holding out her hand to a hummingbird. Absolutely stunning. But there were some coffee stains on the cover, Amber. So I was that wondering. That was you. Well, it can't be me because I have only been reading this book in the evening. You've been reading it in the morning. So therefore, well, you spelled spirit some of- coffee imagination which is what ebony elizabeth thomas talked about in this book i want you to imagine a world where you drink coffee at night i I actually don't think that world is that hard to imagine regardless i think that the cover of this book is absolutely beautiful and one should not be drinking coffee while they read it or take off the jacket at least you know i agree but you're still to blame anyway Um, let's talk a little bit more about this incredible book. I literally have just a list of quotes from this book that will be, you know, one day tattooed all over my body. But for now, they're on this uh, Google document. Ben, why don't you tell people why we decided to read uh, a book of sort of like that's not so much a story as it is an analysis. Like, why did you choose this book? Because you are basically who puts all of our reading lists together and you do a great job you're you know that's the one thing you're good at in this household so why don't you tell the people why you chose this book i think there's more than one thing that i'm good at besides choosing books but 
to that point, I'm going to go to, we wanted to read an academic book. So this book is a collection of essays that uh, Dr. Thomas have been, has been working on for a while. There's a lot of thought that goes into it. So I wanted to read something a little bit academic, but the beautiful thing about this book is that it's also biographical. So she puts a lot of her own experiences inside of it. And I think this idea of the imagination gap, specifically dealing with children, was so powerful. And I kept on thinking as I was reading this that this entire podcast is us addressing the imagination gap because her focus is on science fiction and fantasy. And I was just curious, Amber, like whose responsibility is it to address this imagination gap? Is it the editors? It is, is it um, readers? Is it teachers? Yeah. Where does the responsibility fall? And I kept on having that question over and over in my head. So whose responsibility is to? For sure. I mean, I think we it's wherever reading is going to be emphasized and taught so i think at home it's really great but it it's so frustrating because like who gets to create and what's marketable is a is is left to like what society or whatever so these publishing houses because I refuse to believe that there are black authors that have gone to these publishing houses saying hey this is a book about a little black girl who has a wand and wishes for a dog and it comes true and a publishing house saying no that's not marketable so it is the is the responsibility of those in publishing companies but those people are the people who get hired for those jobs and it just all goes back to like white supremacy and racism so i think if you are an educator or a teacher especially if you're teaching literature this should be like required reading like if my every teacher that i had growing up in high school and i had lots of different teachers but i had only one teacher where we really read black books and it was my you know multicultural lit teacher and it was only because the class was called multicultural lit did we read that there but all other standard all other standard lit classes we were reading brave new world heart of darkness all holocaust books which are important to read, but it's really sad when I'm going to college and reading Things Fall Apart for the first time. That was the first time I read Things Fall Apart in a freshman African-American literature class. You know, it's funny that you mentioned Things Fall Apart because the books that you are given that have black writers, they're not fantastical books, right? No, For the not most part, right? Maybe with the exception of a Toni Morrison's Beloved, but for the most part, you're not given yeah. fantastical books with black characters. Like anybody who's a millennial right now, I would be just so jealous to hear that they read Toni Morrison in high school. I know that there are some teachers out there doing great work where Toni Morrison is now being yeah. read in high school. But I did not discover Toni Morrison through the the public education system. I, I, I was deeply failed in that way or Octavia Butler I didn't discover Octavia Butler honestly until we got married mm. never heard of her before but you were such a science fiction buff that you were like you don't know Octavia Butler the mother of science fiction not the black mother the mother of science fiction where would I have learned that because we don't really read anything being read fantastical in schools period point blank is white authors Frankenstein that's in like almost every high school text Let's get into sort of some of the themes of this book, right? Mm -hmm. um, and the themes are sort of addressed through looking at four 
young adult properties. And um, Dr. Thomas looks at The Hunger Games, Merlin, Harry Potter, and The Vampire Diaries. Mm-hmm. So what familiarity have you had with any of those properties? So did you, you're saying, did I participate in any of those fandoms? Yeah, or did you see, what did you watch from those those four? Like, how did Got those it. four involve? So, so, I definitely saw The Hunger Games in theaters, and I definitely saw all eight, I think it's eight Harry Potter films in theaters. Like, cosplay was something I heard about maybe senior year of high school. I had no idea that was a thing that people did. But I never got to that part of fandom. I don't even know what Tumblr is, like, to this day. I never... Th- thought about those things or were introduced to those things. Like I'm in the thick of the imagination gap, but I participated in the cultural phenomenon of people like reading and attending. I didn't read the hunger games. I definitely read Harry Potter. I think I read Harry Potter books like one through four. And my parents weren't a household that didn't care. Like, wait, I'm wait. How do you not know of Tumblr? How did you not hear of Tumblr in college? No, no. Okay. So fun story. Tumblr was one of the Tumblr. No, uh, I think I did at one point, but Tumblr was the only way to like watch porn at my college because it wasn't blocked. It was a Christian college. So oh my they had God, a they real... blocked porn in the yeah, college? Yeah, everything yeah. else was like blocked. Um, yeah, we were watching RedTube, Pornhub. No, none, you couldn't really access any of those sites. You had to go about it. But they didn't block Tumblr and Tumblr was sort of a way to circumvent and watch porn. That's how I heard of Tumblr. So... Be honest with me. What is, or I guess was, because I guess Tumblr is not as not as uh, relevant as it was then. What is the primary function of Tumblr? So is it like OnlyFans, where like no, I one, think... a big function of it is the adult sex work, which I know uh, OnlyFans is for other things, but like was that what Tumblr no, was? No, I think Tumblr was sort of like a deviant art. You know what deviant art is? Deviant art is sort of a social media website for artists. Okay. Like a penny, like pen or stencils or animation type artists. Okay. So the, a lot of DeviantArt will draw, you know, Harry and Hermione, you know, together, right? Got it. So it's like a lot of fan art. Yeah, a lot of fan art. So, I mean, yeah, I I was not an artist, so. So I, did you ever hear of like slash? Fiction. I've heard of slash fiction since we've been together, but I was like blithely unaware of all of that stuff when I was in high school. You never read any like fan fiction? Mm-mm. No. Interesting. Yeah. I would maybe talk about it or like be like, you know, it would be really cool if Malfoy got with Hermione and then like they fucking wrecked Harry's world. Like I, I, I would talk about it with people, but I didn't, I truly did not understand that there was a whole world where people wrote that and published those stories. That's fascinating. It's almost as if your fan fiction was like oral storytelling mm-hmm. or oral, um, you know, imagination because that itself is a form of fan fiction. And it's so odd because I had a huge imagination as a kid. And I'm not blaming my parents at all because they, my parents did a really great job of having black art in the household and they had black books in the household. But because of that imagination gap, all of my black books were Ruby Bridges, First Day of School, Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry, fucking Sounder. Like it was all... Hyper-realistic. Hyper-realistic, very violent, 
So yeah, that is a trend that she talked about in the book. But so my parents did as best they could to integrate black stories into our households. But I, I, I was not trying to read about even the only American girl doll was Addie, the slave, like she escaped slavery. So you remember the American girl dolls? Mm -hmm. And so I, it's like, I want to like Addie, but I'm fucking with Felicity. Like <laughs> I don't want to be, you know, my biggest appointment is asleep, escaping the damn farm. So my parents did as, as well as they could integrating those stories, but like there weren't, those stories weren't there until like the Disney channel came around. The, the pages weren't there. Can I ask you a question before you, we move yeah. on to the next topic? You were such an avid reader as a kid. Do you distinctly remember any black characters in any of the fantastical stories that you read? I remember being shocked that there were like black people when I watched Harry Potter. I was like, oh, Dean Thomas is black? I like in the movie. In the movie. I didn't I didn't recognize the black characters from Harry Potter and when I read the books. Yeah. I wasn't I was just like, oh, there's a black character. Me either. So she has a whole chapter about like Hermione is black, right? I didn't read Hermione as black because like many people, sadly, the default is white. So whenever I'm reading a book, unless the cover is a black girl, I'm reading it just going with the flow, assuming everybody's white. It's kind of like when you open up a Zoom meeting, you know, I'm going through a yoga teacher training right now and you open up a Zoom meeting, I'm going into these situations assuming that I'm the only black person. And if I'm not the only black person, I know the other black girl because circles are that small. So it is always a pleasant surprise, similar to what you had going on. It's always a pleasant surprise if I see another black person at something. Like when you walk into a meeting, you're like, oh, wait, another black person's here. Like, it's it's great. But you're you're going into most situations being like, and ain't none of us in there. Well, I, th I think... There's the reaction of surprise, but what she really delves into in this book is a lot of the feeds of that surprise being shock and anger and dismay. Mm -hmm. And she goes into this whole idea that fantasy specifically pulls you out into the secondary world. And so when you are introduced with an idea of race, for example, a black character, it pulls you into this reality a political reality that you're trying to escape and therefore people respond like very violently so a big part of this book is like these really create like unbelievably toxic threads that mm -hmm. you read and i was just curious when did you first learn of like toxic toxicity on the internet like toxic threads you know what i'll say this i i'll talk a little bit about toxic unpublished internet threads okay you ready for this story time when i was in college I was in a sorority, as you know, and I also started talking to this guy who was a complete fuckboy who was in a fraternity. And every now and then, you know, the internet and the computers sort of started like right on the edge of high school into college. So we weren't addicted to our phones like we are now, which is great. I, I remember the before times. So this guy he that I dated, he would log into my computer to talk in his fraternity group chat, right? Talking in his, in his fraternity group chat, which was, you know, clearly not on the internet. It wasn't like on Twitter or anything. It was probably just on GroupMe, but a desk, desktop version. And one day he accidentally forgot to log out. So, you know, my motherfucking ass became Black Nancy Drew in this hoe. And I started looking through the thread of what these men 
who thought nobody was looking was saying. And I saw some just unbelievable stuff, like some very offensive, like very homophobic things, very, any, any girl who sent them pictures of them, their bodies, because that was like right on the cusp when we started sending nudes. All of those pictures were in the chat. Like my mind was blown. And I, I remember having this, I didn't, I never called him out on it. But what I did was I saved PDFs of all of the stuff. Wow. I know, because I was like, if you ever fuck me over, like I'm going to Regina George your ass and just like, you know. It makes were like me really things nervous I, about what you've saved from me. No, 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 no. I didn't do that. I, and even when he did me wrong, I was like, let me just delete this. And one of my sororities was like, no, publish that shit. Like, let people. And they were even talking trash in the thread about, like, we would never let this nigga join our fraternity, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, the next spring, that person would cross that fraternity. And I'd be like, I got the threads on my computer saying that y'all would never let him. But whatever. So it was just so. But that was the first time I uncovered a thread of a, a community that thought they were being like just niche and private which is how reddit threads can s- sort of feel sometimes like you're you're saying to yourself like oh i have this private little thing and this is our community chat so that that has been my only experience of like negative toxic ones what it, about you now you got to tell well me. i want to sort of unpack that a little bit because you're talking about a, a private group thread mm-hmm. where in this book she is reading uh, specifically public Twitter threads, right? So it's it was almost as if this progression where people would only say things maybe in a private conversation, mm-hmm. right? Or they wouldn't even say them out loud. Then they would say them in a private group conversation via the internet. And now it's gotten to such a point where I can actually mask myself completely and say whatever the fuck I want mm-hmm. publicly if it's through a platform like Twitter. So you can sort of see this like progression going on. And specifically, what she's dealing with is that Rue was black in The Hunger Games. Yep. People hated that. And then there were some other characters in The Hunger Games that were black. And that, for them, was really shocking because having a black character in a fantasy world pulled people out of this futuristic world because now they have to think about race. It's like in the way that I will go into these Zoom meetings and see another black girl and be shocked and pleasantly surprised it would be like a white person entering this chat being like what is this black girl doing here that's what i hear when people overreact and are highly racist like oh it it got to a point where so she has a chapter in the book talking about how rue is black and she puts a thread of some of the like you know the 20 worst reactions to rue being black from like a buzzfeed article and it was so bad like i'm not i vividly don't remember that because I didn't read The Hunger Games. I just saw it. So I I was completely protected at the time from these very negative sayings. But to read the book and hear people say like, oh my God, like not to be racist, but now that I know Rue is black, I don't really care about her death as much. Like how the fuck is that not racist? You just said you literally don't care since it's a black person that died. And you put that on the internet for people to retweet and love. Suzanne Collins, I'm pretty sure, vividly wrote in the book that like district, you know, 11 or whatever it was, is a harsher district of people with darker skin. It's like, hmm, it doesn't really take a lot of a big mental hurdle to think about what the people who look and live in the harshest conditions look like. Does it? And and third, it was, you know, biracial Amandla Steinberg. 
So it was kind of like, this was our most tolerable black and y'all didn't accept. I'm just being honest. Like if it was a dark, if it was a girl my shade, they would have actually protested the movie. Very, very, very light skinned biracial Amandla is the darkest person they could put in that role without like Hollywood crashing down in flames. It was really sad and troubling to hear. They also do it again with Merlin, where uh, Guinevere, who's supposed to be the most, you know, beautiful woman in all of sort of the UK, you know, sort of British literature, and she is a, a mixed uh, character, and people just were absolutely horrified that Gwen. Well, all and of Merlin... the people are going to be mixed. They're all going to be mixed race because yeah. you can't, like, if if ever you're putting a black person in the role and you know air quote people didn't envision them black they're they're they have to be biracial because it's like putting your big toe in the water you know it's like well they're gonna be mad because she's black but maybe if we get a light-skinned girl maybe if we get a girl with really silky hair they won't be as mad it's like no they hate black people they're gonna be pressed you should have just went full throttle lupita you know this whole Twitter feeds that she presents, we now know that exists, right? I remember mm-hmm. not knowing it existed until I think maybe like five years ago. I didn't even have a, a smartphone until like maybe six years ago. Yeah, that's why I'm so shocked that you know this Tumblr so intimately. I just, it was ran, it was random that I found it out. I also had friends who are artists who are on these things. So it was a way to like, you know, push out their art. But... I remember the first time I learned about like the toxicity of the internet was about Demi Lovato harshly making fun of her because she like gained some weight. And I remember, I think one of my roommates told me about this and I was like, no, like, no, really? Like the internet, like people would do that. And I remember just going through and reading all these like terrible, awful things people are saying about Demi Lovato. And I didn't know that, oh, this is a thing that exists. Like people are actually say these things publicly I, I, it's like oh yeah like the the internet is this place of toxicity and the internet is also a place where the negative voice gets amplified the internet has this way of saying like only come at me with your worst and so that's like what we gravitate towards sometimes Okay, so what I liked about this book, though, is... Yeah, drop the boat back. Besides, like, negative comments, right? Because we all know it exists. Negative negative comments exist. Mm -hmm. But what she is doing, she's saying, oh, these negative comments are reflecting how black characters are sort of portrayed and viewed in a lot of YA literature and YA film. And so it's not just the fact that these comments exist and yeah, it's sort of showing it as something much deeper going on. And she sort of goes through this, what she calls the dark fantastic cycle where characters oftentimes are like presented as a spectacle and then they're um, treated with hesitation and then violence is visited upon them and then uh, they then they haunt because of this violence. They haunt all the characters, and then maybe there's an emancipation, right? So to confirm, there's this cycle that most black characters find themselves in of first spectacle, then hesitation on part of the audience hesitating to accept them. I think it's a little bit of both, okay. right? And then that that person is treated with violence, and then and then. And then their, haunts their the ghost rest. comes back right. or something. Right. So yeah. so Rue specifically, right? 
Um, Rue is the youngest character. So a spectacle. Is, is a spectacle chosen for the Hunger Games. Um, she sort of spies on uh, 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 Katniss and sort of treated with hesitation. And then um, they eventually come together. And then Rue uh, dies this very violent death. And then her death becomes like this haunting that sort of stays with Katniss and, and sort drives of ins- drives her, her to win, to win but but by the second books Rue disappears by the third book she's barely mentioned mm-hmm. and so she never goes to that like final cycle of emancipation of having your own sort of uh yeah like freedom to be your own character because Rue is defined in terms of her relationship with Katniss so in a lot of ways like these black characters can't be like opening scene hits the stage it has right. to be like Oh, a black person. Oh, do we like this black person? Oh, let's kill this black person. Oh, this black person is haunting me. Yeah, and and you can create like lots of different formats to see how black characters are created. But I think this format is pretty helpful, not only just seeing black characters, but also how black people are treated. Mm -hmm. It's like often I think of you like maybe coming into a show being only the black character and you being like the spectacle, but people are going to be hesitant around you. And then maybe that hesitation leads to violence. And then um, you might, like, your absence, if you're not there, might haunt the room. Um, people, like, being fearful of, like, being racist, you know. Mm-hmm. And so oh, yeah. and so you sort of miss out on being fully um, emancipated to be your own fully realized character. And so this framework in which she is looking at these stories are, like, really cool. What do you think about that as the dark fantastical cycle being not only about the books, but about real people real black people this author is brilliant like literally every line would just said something just so insightful and i prefer to look critically at characters through this cycle than through tropes because sometimes i mean and those tropes are helpful but when we think about like the magical negro trope right sort of as like what she calls like the modern day slave it's like they're only there to help the white protagonist and they might actually have some like magical power sort of like did you ever see like legend of bagger Vance? oh yeah sure will smith matt damon yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah so but when we think about this cycle it it lets us unpack so much more and it it i think it more closely allows us to track this trend whereas sometimes we'll be like oh we, we've identified the magical negro it's, it's sort of like bloom's taxonomy a little bit it's like Magical Negro trope for me is like we identified it like here it goes tale as old as time but this dark fantastical cycle is like no this is a pattern like how these characters are developed and written over multiple seasons and it requires like more work on us as audience members and you know more tears on us as audience members but it it, I, I felt like I was taking a class that she was teaching as a professor you know the uh, one of the other shows that she looks at is Merlin And she celebrates Merlin's earlier seasons for Gwen having uh, this power of not calling out Arthur and being like really hard and um, just being a powerful character. And it's it's funny because this also happened with Sleepy Hollow, she talks about, where you have these black, specifically black women characters who are introduced first as fully realized characters. They're not purely foils. They have their own backstories and then 
these writer these writers white writers are given start out with these powerful characters but then they fail us and specifically with sleepy hollow and again with merlin and she it almost makes me wonder like can white should white care should white writers be even writing black characters or just yeah because just they write rating. them to be unlikable like you or you you handle them or you mishandle them to a point where I as a black person that typically always roots for the black person I'm like I don't want to be her that that gets into a little bit of uh the vampire diaries mm-hmm. which which we'll go to but I shouldn't be saying can white writers write black characters that I think they can be doing that but I think there's this immediate hesitation or fear that when you see a fully realized black character, especially when you're reading about them through the eyes of the author, Ebony Elizabeth Thomas, there's this fear that, oh my gosh, are we going to have this character now, this black character now, who's going to be a fully realized character? And then you realize, oh wait, that pull that's pulled away from you. Mm-hmm. And that that is like jarring and shocking and um just just traumatic i mean and also at the end of the day like here's the get you gotcha can white people white showrunners write these fully realized characters maybe can black people write fully realized characters yes like so it's frustrating that we are like giving these white writers time on time on time on time again opportunity on opportunity to get these black characters right when there are rooms full of black people that cannot get their scripts seen and so we we just keep taking chances on like oh maybe they got this right it's like how about this how about it's it's the maybe for a season or two (laughs) exactly and and it's frustrating because it's it's sort of the same dynamic with like black hairdressers and white hairdressers right it's like i got black talent on this set if you get a black hairstylist guess what you got somebody that can do black hair and everybody else's hair in the room or you can get a white stylist who likely only knows how to do white people's hair maybe she can do black hair but I can promise you that a black hairstylist can do everybody's hair. There's a full dark fantastic cycle. Like this is a field of study at this point. How many times people have fucked this up? And it's not just people fucking up. That's what the book that's why the book is so dope. It's not just people fucking up because like what you just did just shaped a black girl's understanding of herself. Like people don't think about writers and creators like that because it's like, you're not a doctor. When you mess up, somebody didn't die on the table. Like you did do something. Like you just miswrote this character and fucked with a child's psyche. And now they view themselves differently in the world. Like why don't we sort of hold them to that same fire. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because Because I am the amalgamation, you know, I'm a bad bitch, but I'm also the amalgamation of several people miswriting people to the point where I have doubted myself and I have let these, this internalized like anti-blackness seep into things that I've done. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like obviously I'm doing a lot of unlearning now that I've entered my like 20s and about to be 30s. But... Most black people up until college are an amalgamation of all of these poorly written black characters. There's a pop group called the Spice Girls. The black one is Scary Spice. 
I, as a kid, am singing these songs, and Spice Girls are legendary, but I'm saying to myself, I'm scary to people. I'm walking through the world saying, what can I do to not be scary to people? How can I, why do I keep scaring people? And then I'm learning at 20, I was like, oh, people are scared of me, and that's beyond my control. So why am I working to stop scaring people? And so writers do that exact same thing. But they need to get the shit together. That's what Dr. Thomas is saying. You know, she has a really beautiful relationship with her niece. And her and her niece watch the Vampire Diaries together. And there's this, like, really heartbreaking scene where she talks about her niece um, metaphorically choosing the doll with the blue eyes and ends up liking uh, the white character from the Vampire Diaries or... Um, uh, there's another example where she shows, uh, Dr. Thomas shows up, has all these books by like black women authors and her niece is like, how come you expect me to just like want to read books with like black girls in them, you know, and almost like this shocking. And it made me think of like, oh, this is an experience where my niece is experiencing choosing the the doll with the blue eyes, right? And that was like really Yeah, because they gave that bitch all the accessories, all of the notebooks and pens yeah. and the freaking trapper keeper and the black Barbie got one, you know, lead pencil. So what what am I I'm I'm learning as a four year old, oh white people have more things. Why yeah. wouldn't I aspire to whiteness? Yeah. And it's so uh, it's so insidious when you think about it. And then specifically the Vampire Diaries, she just goes at it and it's like the um, the witch, the black witch in the Vampire Diaries is completely pushed out in a way. Doesn't show up to all the glamour in the party. She's not desired by other characters. It's really, really awful uh, what this show did and the psychological impact it will have on children black girls specifically growing up like mm -hmm. these shows matter and there's this great anecdote um about uh you know why don't why don't you share that anecdote about lin-manuel miranda and biden and will and grace remember oh yeah at one part in the book this is obviously not our i mean everything we're saying is because ebony dr ebony just changed our lives but there's one part of the book where joe biden and james burroughs the director of will and grace both go to see hamilton and so they have a conversation after Hamilton and uh, Joe Biden talks about how much he liked Will and Grace and talked about how that show really did change how he viewed gay people and lesbian people because he, you know, probably doesn't know a lot of gay and lesbian people or didn't at the time and how that show changed how he viewed people as people. And it was just this really poignant uh, excerpt that she had in here about how art engenders empathy in a way that politics don't. And that is, you know, the basis of everything that we're saying today is that's why it's so important that these directors and these writers get this shit right. Because you have the ability to change, like now, you know, this book was written before Joe Biden was president, but like the arguably, I mean, there was a time where the president was one of the smarter the smartest people in, in the country. I'm not sure what that is now, but like I used to view presidents as being like, you are very intelligent. You went to Harvard or Princeton or whatever. Even the ones I hated, I'm like, at least I know, you know, your daddy paid for you to go to Ivy League school or whatever. But even the some of the uh, allegedly smartest people running the country, commanders in chief, 
minds are being changed from a sitcom. So think about how people's minds are being changed, you know, of different educational aptitudes. Yeah. Like there's power in that. Most of the book is her showing how art engenders a lack of empathy. And it's really hard to read some of this because not only is she showing that specifically black characters doing this, but she's also showing how darkness and dark things are often associated with villainy and mm-hmm. and uh, wickedness. And like monstrous. <laughs> and yeah. Mon- monstrosity. Monstrosity. Um, and it sort of goes and she goes into a really personal story where she writes about being canceled. Uh, she, I don't think she says being canceled, but mm-hmm. in, her, in her 20s, she was very much involved with Harry Potter fandom. And she wrote a fanfic. And in this fanfic, she used uh, Virginia Hamilton's, what is it, The People Who Can Fly? Yeah, she just wrote her own. Yeah. This was in the time before the yeah. internet where rules were probably a little different. Right, and so she... she just... She incorporated Virginia Hamilton's The People Could Fly in the context of the Harry Potter world. And she quoted, like, pretty extensively from Virginia Hamilton without properly citing. And she owns up to that. But it's fan fiction, right? And so she is anathematized and, like, kicked out because she's told as being, like, plagiarized. When all of fan... Like, the basis of fan fiction is to plagiarize. And... It's really heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. It is like really horrific in the way that she's treated um, in this like it, violence. It was it was violent. And, I agree. And she deleted all. She deletes all herself. She's no longer. She was um, asked to step down from she, conventions and yeah, panels. Yeah, it was just awful. And we started having this conversation about cancel culture and how oftentimes like cancel culture really only affects like black people black people right specifically black women like yeah like when i think about chrisette michelle you know she decided to sing at trump's inauguration horrible decision but this woman was very very talented singer i have even attended one of chrisette michelle's concerts you know pre-trumpism and she has not made a comeback since she made that decision Eight years ago. And she's being punished like, I mean, yeah, should you have shang at Trump's inauguration? Fucking no. But do we all shuck and jive for the white man for a check? We've all done it. So it's so insane that she is being blackballed and treated like a criminal. Like she, you know, sex trafficked and did all these things. It's like she's being canceled in the same way. And her music is not really played anywhere or even I think I saw an ad the other day where she was trying to drop a new song and I was like oh my god I remember her but she it's so but, sad but it makes me think of like white people that we've heard who get canceled right yeah, they end up going canceled they get to go on like conservative talk show hosts and they get to go on speaking tours and, like, and they write their books and they're being pushed through like you know the, the right side of media where if you're black and you do something like misstep like maybe, maybe you can swing yourself over to the right wing media, and but if also, you do that, you cancel out all. You essentially destroy a bunch of other relationships, right? Like there's no coming back, and it's just really, really damaging. It was so sad reading that story. It's so interesting because when a white person, you know, says something, and I'm not talking about criminals. Let's take all criminal activity off the table. I'm talking about just like 
you said something way out of pocket. J.K. Rowling, for example. We'll talk about J.K. for two seconds because, you know, we keep it black over here. J.K. Rowling, obviously, is a part of this whole turfdom, stepping out of line, being transphobic. Not only is she still going to make her coin because of Harry Potter world and all of that, she's not going to lose any book deals, whatever, whatever, if she's working on anything for the future. She then also is defended by other people. Other people start caping for her, which is never, I cannot remember one celebrity that stuck up for Chrisette Michelle, this amazing R&B singer. But I remember Margaret Atwood jumping in the chat when J.K. Rowling was going down. Other black authors started jumping in the chat as well. And so it's, you know, when Roseanne Barr got caught up in some bullshit, Monique, a black comedian, jumped in the chat to defend her. But Monique... Your ass ask Netflix for more money than like Amy Schumer because you had the resume. Where was Roseanne? Was she there caping for you? It's like literally the same, you know, when we're talking about art and gender empathy, when we see these white protagonists being helped by black people, like Monique literally in real life was sitting here having Roseanne Barr's back for being racist and the minute Ronique was going down, have we heard from Roseanne? No. Where are all of the white girls who should be standing up for Monique? No. So it's it's so fascinating to me that cancel culture literally is most limited to black people. And sadly, this incredible author. Let's get into some of the size because... Mm-hmm. She has a whole... Oh, can I say one thing before we get into the size? Yeah. I think the most infuriating part of the book for me, which isn't a size, infuriating, like, white people get on my nerves, is people trying to, like, turn up about things, like, trying to mask their racism in wanting to be historical or claiming that the book is ahistorical. So they'll do like, well, Gwen was supposed to be a white lady because black people didn't exist in the Crusades, whatever bullshit line they have. But it's like that, I, you remember, I walked around the house for days being so infuriated about like, but there is a motherfucking fire-breathing dragon in this show. <laughs> Those were not in the Crusades either. So how is it so unfathomable for you to imagine a black girl as a queen, which we've seen, Cleopatra and all the likes, how is it hard for you to imagine a black person in a monarchy, but not a fire-breathing dragon? Ben, explain that logic to me. Well, well, <laughs> she explains it, I think, really well in the book. She's saying that when you, as a white person, never are forced to think about race, never are forced to address it in any way, and you're reading a fantastical book, and it's taking you to a different world, that secondary world, and you come across something like race that is so... Um, modern right that pulls you out and it's it's this Mm. shock what we call i don't i don't know if she uses this phrase but i'm going to call it second world shock it's this idea in which your world that you're living with seeps into the second world in in this explicit way and so when you watch film like the vampire diaries or merlin or you know hunger games and you see a black character where you assumed a white person was there you all of a sudden are just like shocked. You know, it makes me think of um, there was a, a Star Wars novel that was written, the the first one since the reboot of the new canon, and there was like gay characters in it. Mm-hmm. And uh, somebody wrote to the author like, you know, I don't read fantasy to 
read about politics. And this idea of having like gay people in a book as being political is so reflective of the biases that we inherently bring into reading literature because it's a political belief to assume everybody's straight, right? That Mm -hmm. itself is a political belief. And it was just so fascinating. And that's what she's sort of getting at in here is Mm -hmm. that white people are, I think, are experiencing for some of the first time second world shock. Because now that is like, no, we are bringing you to the table to make you have a conversation about why you were so shocked. It's like one time when we met our neighbor and you came outside to greet him and say, hey. And then I came out the back of the house. I was like, hey. He was like, oh, oh. And I and I heard that reaction yeah. in his voice. And I was just like, you couldn't contain your, it, it just, I, and I, I decided in that half a second of his React like he he did a oh re- he did a shock. You're you're and just dark. A, you're just the dark's fantastic. You're- he yes he did a shock. I was a spectacle, and then he skipped hesitation and went right into like hypersexualizing me. You remember when he was like oh oh I see what you got oh. going on there. I was like I'm his fucking wife. What do you mean what he has going on there? And now you know I don't fuck with him. Yeah. <laughs> like and that took what five seconds. Maybe we can haunt him. Yeah. No, before we get to the size, because you're saying all this stuff, I think now the book the book ends in a really hopeful, hopeful way, mm. right? And one of the hopeful ways is that she writes about Sleepy Hollow, where Sleepy Hollow decide to care, like kill the main black uh, character, uh, Nicole Bahari, who played Abby Mills in there. And um, by the way, it just recently came out that Nicole Bahari was labeled as difficult to work with because Mm. she was um, diagnosed with an autoimmune disease. Blackness. Yep. And then her white, uh, you know, um, co-actor, Tom Meissen, also got sick, but he got to go off for a month and go back to England to recuperate. Mm. But sort of going into this whole day, idea that black women don't feel pain, right? And Oh, oh, yeah, there was this uh, Thomas Jefferson quote on page 151 that said, like, Thomas Jefferson said, um, and he was referring to black people, their griefs are transient. Yeah. That just like... And that is... Radiated through my bones. The great thing is that Sleepy Hollow, the first season, and Tanana Reevdu, I heard her say like, oh, we'll always have the first season or the first two seasons. Like huge, she was a huge fan of Sleepy Hollow. But the fans and the critics uh, rallied around. Mm-hmm. this decision to kill off this amazing character and the show was canceled a season Period. after times are changing yeah so the this... internet is mobilizing <laughs> and calling y'all out so yeah you're getting less opportunities white writers shaking your boots get sensitivity readers or think to yourself hmm should i be telling this story did i steal this story maybe i should hire the person that can tell this story well so when that's on who? A fire breathing dragon. Fire breathing dragon. And not the black princess. So let's get into the size. Yeah. Let's get one thing I can't stand is this whole idea where Armani Armani is black. Dr. Thomas sort of celebrates that idea because Harry Potter did something, and specifically J.K. Rowling did something that changed the way fandom interacted with a property. For example, J.K. Rowling embraced fan fiction mm-hmm. and and encouraged fan fiction it wasn't sort of overly like possessive of her 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 properties in the way that you think some authors would be right 
And um, H.P. Lovecraft did the same thing, right? But like H.P. Lovecraft and J.K. Rowling, there's this this darker side. No. <laughs> it's like everybody can have there's a piece a, of this pie except for you niggas. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> except for you trans people, okay? Y'all, so, y'all can't get in on this. But everybody else, do your fan fiction. Well, yeah, not only that, she doesn't go into that uh, at all in the book, which is fine. But one thing I, I get a little frustrated with is that with children specifically, um, you need to be very explicit mm-hmm. if you're writing about race. And even Suzanne Collins is that there were parts of the book that, um, you know, Dr. Thomas would read and hold on to being like, oh, this is like the paragraph that cues me in. Oh, this character's black. Or like holding on to like these small little pieces like, yes, you know, this character is Make black. it plain. Say Make it with it your plain. full chest. Yes. And with children, that's what you have to do. We're taught as educators, be explicit with the teaching point today and constantly refer back to the teaching point. And so this like, yeah, Dumbledore was gay, sure. Like, yeah, Hermione is black, yeah. sure. Or in Don't some... be a crowd pleaser with the shit. Like, right. No, the... we want to hear you say what it was. Right, but... There's this flip side because J.K. Rowling, in one sense, is saying, like, you as the reader own this property just as much as I do. And John Green, you know, who wrote Looking for Alaska and The Fault in Our Stars, he wrote something that was really popularized, but he wrote, you know, books belong to the readers, right? So if you look at major American properties, Star Wars and Harry Potter, Star Wars fanfic, like, you know, Lucas was a dick about it. And where J.K. Rowling like embraced it, right? Mm-hmm. And I think there's a beauty in that, but there's this flip side to it where like you are being, I think, racially insensitive or just racially ambivalent when you're like, yeah, sure, like instead yeah, of like a fan, a black girl holding her Harry Potter book, like so, like she has big hair and Muggle parents, and you know, is Hermione black? Well, what do you think? It's like, bitch, I asked you, okay. <laughs> Say it right. She She's doing this like, I don't want to be clocked for being racist. So I'm just going to like, not really. I'm like, well, you know, Dumbledore's gay if you want him to be gay. No, I tried to intentionally pick up on some things that you said and you wrote. Can you shed more light on it? Well, yeah. it's up to your interpretation. It's, it's lazy. I, I wish she unpacked that a little bit more. Like you wish Dr. Ebony. Yeah. Dr. Dr. Uh, Thomas. Dr. Thomas. You know, went into a little bit more, but other than that, I, I didn't really have any size with oh, the book. Man. It's, the it's book a really crazy. beautiful book and helpful book, and it's yeah. gonna really, I think, sort of act as a guide for us when we start having kids. You know, for or, sure, Ben. Yeah, I agree. There were some times I honestly, you know, maybe I'm being sensitive, but for some of the statements that were made, like when she would post what like the most violent words that white people were saying, I kind of wish there was a trigger warning for that. Mm. Like just a little bit. Cause I really, you know, I was taken out, you know, I was submerged in this analysis and then taken out of the very insightful, hopeful analysis when I had to read like, why is she black? Black people, like a, a, a page full of comments about people that hate black people. Like I kind of needed like, you know, like what you're about to read is true accounts and they are pretty and they're hard. So I could have like skipped over those parts, but you know, maybe a part of me needed to like read it. And 
I, I think this book sort of finds its in-between to being like this personal story, but also it's very academic. And in academia, you don't put trigger warnings in no. academia, right? Yeah. This is an academic book. I'm a baby. You're, you're supposed to distance yourself. And I think that's a huge problem with academia is this idea that we can distance ourselves from the material we're trying to unpack and discover. Like, that's just absurd. And I like that she doesn't do that. She's like, no, this is actually very personal to me. Like, I was canceled but from Harry Potter fandom. I had this experience with my niece who, you know, wanted a mm-hmm. white character instead of a black character. Like, it is a very personal story, but she mixes it with some pretty heady you know academic language you know like the term valiance is is a new word that i learned one of my favorite things that she said we should do like a favorite thing she said moment to close out the show but one of my favorite things she said was when she quoted um audrey lord about how these stories like coming should be just more blackened and whole like that blackened and whole really is the antithesis of the jk rowling thing right it's like if hermione's gonna be black make her blackened and whole like yeah. don't do this in between shit because us little black girls it's only gonna be one or two of us in this motherfucker so make her whole and black as hell and that makes me hopeful for the future because there are going to be more opportunities a, a balance of stories um Chinua Achebe said, there's going to be a balance of stories in the future. And so I'm just looking forward to that future. Yeah, we need it because we're running out of film and TV shows too. All right, Ben, why don't you warp up the show? Everyone go buy The Dark Fantastic. It's a beautiful book. Not only let it sit on your shelf, but read the book as well. A quick read. It's short. Teachers go out and buy this book. It is really going to, I think, guide you and sort of teach you how you address the stories you decide to teach to your children. Thanks, Ben. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Sci-Fi Sci. Next week, we're going to watch a TV show based on a book. We will be watching Knots and Crosses. This was recommended by a listener, Hales. We love you. Knots and Crosses was written by Mallory Blackman, and it was directed by Julian Holmes, who is a white guy, but listen, and co-directed by Kobe Adome, who is a black man. So we are going to celebrate this alternate history of what would happen if black people were the colonizers and not the other way around so really get excited you can watch knots and crosses on peacock tv trust me it's free to download and it's free to watch so we'll see y'all next week for episode 24 knots and crosses bye y'all thank you for listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.